electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. Right now on Fast Regional Relief, bank stocks rebounding as the Treasury says all deposits at U.S. banks, not just SVB and Signature, are safe. We will dig into the details on that and ask, is this the right way to fix what's broken with the banks? Plus, Meta's monster move, shares surging more than 7% after it announced another big round of layoffs. Facebook now up over 60% this year is firing friends, the new recipe for driving stock growth. And later, Boeing's international flight plans. The gig is up in a good way for Uber, Lyft, and DoorDash. In crypto's spring awakening. I'm Melissa Lee. This is Fast Money. We're live at the Nasdaq Markets. I had a full desk here on set tonight. Tim Seymour, Karen Feinerman, Courtney Garcia, and Guy Adami. We start off with the regional bank rebound. The KRE climbing more than 2%. This after the Treasury Department said this morning that all deposits in all banks, not just SVB and Signature, are safe. Look at the gains in First Republic, PacWest, Key Corp, Metropolitan, and First Foundation. Good times again, uh. apparently. Does this deposit insurance for all make the group more investable now? And was this the right move? Billionaire hedge fund manager Ken Griffin of Citadel says no. He believes capitalism is breaking down before our eyes. He is blasting the decision to make all depositors whole, adding there's been a loss of financial discipline with bailing out depositors in full. There are a lot of people who weigh in on, on all sides of the situation here, but we bring this point up because this goes to if we do this, is the sector better off from an investing standpoint? Are you more confident in it? Or does this just eliminate the moral hazard and let the banks do whatever they want with their balance sheets? So I took it as two different questions, but I can understand how you can morph them into one. But let's just look at it in terms of investable. I don't necessarily think any of these things are investable. I think they're tradable as hell. KRE, which traded down below 43 or so, you know, that could probably spike back up to 58, which is where we broke down from, and nothing has effectively changed. So if you're looking to trade the space, yeah, I think it's tradable on the long side here without question. In terms of where we are in terms of capitalism, I've, I've said it 50 times on this show. If you think we're capitalists, think again. We capitalize gains and we socialize losses in this country. With that said, I think we would all probably agree that the people that had their money in these banks, the depositors should be made whole. It's a somewhat, I don't want to be nuanced here, but it's much different than bailing out the banks like we did in 08, 09. Right, and you're making that point. It's not yeah. like we bailed out the CEO. It's not like no. we bailed out investors by any stretch of the imagination. Right, right. for the debt right. and the equity, zero. For the entire management team, zero. Whatever, whatever stock they held, now we're zero. We'll get to the, the aside of whether they should have sold stock before. But So the moral hazard for the, that exists, right? I think so. To your point for the depositors, I agree. I mean, we can't expect depositors to think, wow, boy, their duration risk is really too high. Right. I mean, you know, we we did a renovation and they engineered and we took their mm -hmm. their say so that, yes, this is structurally sound. If the if it were on me to figure that out, I would never be able to do it. And so we wouldn't be able to function if people had to deposit in institutions that they only understood. So that does that doesn't make sense to me. 
But I think what is another issue is, okay, if we did bail out or say to depositors, right. you're, don't worry, you're insured. What, is this a free ride? There's no other strings that go along with this for the regional banks? Right or for any bank, really. In terms, like, what, so what would some of, of the so strings what separates, be? What, uh, what would the, some of those strings be? I mean, if they were, if they're oversight, str- regulatory okay. capital, um, you know, an inability to put, I guess, some conditions on their loan book, their asset book, their duration risk. Mm-hmm. We needed that, you know, last month for sure. But right. all kinds of things, and so the unintended consequences and cost of that. I don't know. This knee-jerk reaction makes sense. But if you've, you've effectively socialized banks at that point, because they, there's no difference between the, the safety of your deposits or why. I mean, I, I get why there's different reasons why you go to a bank. But for a lot of these community banks, uh, I think if you make them all guaranteed, you, they, they look the same. Uh, that sound you hear right now is the sound of tightening standards going on around the country. And, and you can't tell me as an investor in banks that that's good. You can't tell me as an investor in banks that um, their cost of capital didn't just go up. They've that cost to pay back. They're now competing more than ever for depositors. So they're going to have to pay more. It's great for us. We're going to get you know more on that that that, that Christmas. Uh, you remember those Christmas accounts? Sure. Where yeah, you, like a toaster. Yeah, it, oh yeah. yeah. They used to get like on a calculator. HP two Q. Absolutely. So so I, I you know that bothers me. By the way, is that all you got? I mean, they finished up two percent after that kind of an announcement. I don't think that was very good price action at all. So um, this is it. And, and I would just say this more broadly, both for the economy. And and for the country, um, we're, we're not better off today. We're worse off on some level because of what has happened. Just because if you get back to ground zero, um, I, I don't think we now can get past this. The flip side, though, is that if there are more regulations in theory to prevent this from happening again, then you won't be the bag holder in a situation like SVB. Right. I mean, like there would be yeah. less of that sort of danger of that of the rug being pulled out from under you from this sort of circumstance. In theory, if there are more regulation to prevent this from happening. Right, and I think that's that's really the problem that's happening right now is there isn't at this point in time a systematic issue with the banks, but if everybody loses confidence and starts pulling their money out, it will create an issue. So I think what's happening right now is they're just trying to ensure that doesn't happen, the confidence loss doesn't happen. So. Um, fundamentals are there, right? But if we all lose faith in everything, it's going to be gone. And so at this point in time, they're not actually guaranteeing everything. They're just saying it's safe, which is different than changing legislation. And none of that has actually changed yet. So I think it's too soon to say, are the banks going to be overly regulated? Is it going to be bad for their bottom line? Like at this point, they're just trying to tame confidence is really all that's going on. Right. Although a a ranking GOP member of the House Financial Services Committee has said that he wants to propose at least temporarily for maybe 12 months or so guaranteeing all deposits. Uh-huh. So, well, so that, that could be an interesting development. And that's happening right. on the GOP side of things, which is a little bit surprising. It is. But it reminds me, during the pandemic, Fed came out and said, we are here. We will do whatever it takes. We will buy governments. We'll buy investment grade. We'll even buy high yield. And just them saying that alone was enough. They actually didn't even need to do it. In fact, they hardly bought any of the investment grade or high yield. And yet, just the statement enough was enough to uh, sort of fix the finance, you know, fix the financial system that was on, on the verge. So they're doing that again. It's the same thing. It's I mean, it seems to be working at the moment, but we don't know yet how it's going to Oh, it's going to shake out. That's an interesting proposal. That was the yeah. same comments. That, I mean, Hank Paulson back in, in, in the worst of the financial crisis, again, he, he used the term having a bazooka in your pocket. There's no question. But I, again, I get back to 
We don't really know what the regulations are court. You're right. Uh, I mean, you, you can't speculate. But you can't tell me that banks who are trying to give more money back to investors uh, in the form of dividends and buybacks and have finally gotten to a place after 15 years where they're actually in a place, you know, Citibank's got a 4.5% div yield. Some of that's because the stock's underperformed. But all the banks have become a place where big pensions and endowments and people that want to own div-based stocks, banks are giving money back. You can't tell me banks are going to be able to give more money back, that marginal dollar back now more. If anything, they're going to say, you've got to stay more capital. Keep the money in house. And I just think it, it, it really puts, uh, I think, a, a, a cap on what banks can be. The, the other at. side, though, is also that the, from the smaller banks, they can lose deposits and those deposits will go to the larger right. banks, which is what they're dealing with right now. I mean, Citi, J.P. Morgan, all those guys are dealing with floods of people who want to move their money right now to them away from a smaller bank. Which yes. you can understand. OK, oh, Karen. Well, I was just to say they are already those, you know, the SIBs, the GSIBs, the systemically mm-hmm. important banks are already under great scrutiny, great right. regulation. Their arms are t- right. And that's why, possibly, that they don't have this problem, that the duration, you know, mm-hmm. uh, mix is much better. So they're already operating in that. I, I don't know that it will get harder for them first before it gets harder for the regional. I rarely find myself agreeing with Elizabeth Warren, but I will this Wait. time. Wait, no, Stop, stop the, press. the presses. <laughs> Mark this day in Mark history. it down. Because in 2000, we had things in place. It was something called Dodd-Frank, if you recall. And then in mm. 2018, they rolled some of it back. And one of the things that happened is a bank like Silicon Valley Bank no longer had to be under the auspices of a stress test. Do you think it's coincidental that that stock traded north of $700, a meteoric rise when a lot of the other banks didn't? I mean, think about that for a second. So she was right when she called BS on it way back when. 17 Democrats, by the way, voted for that rollback as well. Mm -hmm. If that had been in place, one has to wonder if this would have happened. So there are a myriad of things that went wrong here. I think that was the start of the entire thing. Barney Frank of the eponymous Dodd-Frank, by the way, on yes. the board of Signature Bank. Yes, he is. Ironically, and advocated for that rollback. Um, let's bring in Danny Moses of the Big Short fame. He's founder of Moses Ventures. Um, Danny, there's so much to unpack here with you that I want to get to. But first, I mean, I'm just curious what you think of this bank bounce, and, and are you finding any shorts or longs in the sector at this point? I'm kind of taking it all in here. A lot has gone on, obviously, in the last week. A week ago, no one even new or some people knew this might happen but uh this kind of new so it's hard to really buy or sell securities stocks that is not knowing how the plan's going to be unveiled and we're getting a little bit more clarity on that in terms of this btfp which they could have called btfd obviously if you know what i mean in terms of what they're going to be providing and so the problem here though is really sifting through it's not just about agency securities and treasuries there's commercial loans that are on banks balance sheets commercial real estate right cni loans etc that are still going to be a problem and i think now's the time to really dig in to these banks so yeah i mean there's a lot of work to be done. i mean to think that people whose sole living is to analyze these banks whether it be wall street analysts ratings agencies uh san francisco fed regulate you name it they all miss the boat on this so <laughs> for all of us here out here you know there's a, there is a lot of work to be done in terms of though guaranteeing all deposits, does that make anything safer in your view? If this became um, the norm, if this became the rule that there is a backstop for everything, does that does that make the sector any more attractive in your view? Stabilize things? No, I think that should scare people, the fact that the regulators think that they need to go out and actually do that. And so now I think what we're going to see is the <laughs> banks that maybe come to this window and use this program is going to raise a lot of questions. And 
you can't assume that the regulators have any idea what they're actually dealing with now, considering that they were completely caught off guard, it appears, by what just happened at Silicon Valley Bank. So that should make people nervous. But again, you know, the first earnings out of the gate that we get for Q1 are the banks. So we're going to see a lot of interesting information come out. So we're definitely not out of the woods. And I think the Fed is kidding themselves if they think that this situation is just going to go away. I think a lot more people will come to this new window, so to speak, to uh, deliver some of these assets. Hey, Danny, Sam. Uh, so we'll, let's get hey, to, you know, I feel like the Fed and the dollar and even rates were, were kind of the previews and we're now at the matinee. I mean, it's credit time. And, and to me, um, we may have peaked on Fed. We may have peaked on dollar. We may have peaked on rates. This is generally a great time for, for, for owning equities. But we've just gotten a glimpse of what goes on in credit. What, how are you playing that? How do you view credit spreads here? We went up a full 1% in about a week on high-yield OAS. I realize it's not you know, at extreme levels. But everybody says there's no credit dynamic working right now. I'm not sure I agree. There's been a credit dynamic in place since the Fed started raising rates. We're just now getting the lag impact of that. Look back in the last fall when Blackstone had to gate their funds, when Starwood had to gate their funds. That's really on the commercial real estate side of thing that's been occurring. You had two defaults already, right? PIMCO, Brookfield already, you know, defaulting on office buildings. This, these things have already been in motion. And this is what I mean about, okay, we didn't see this coming a week ago, or 99% of people did not see this coming. So now it's the all clear. I don't think so. To your point, Tim, you made earlier on, on the show about cost of capital moving higher, rest assured that banks now will be forced to have more capital. And like it or not, the big banks are about to get bigger. And it's been happening in real time as we're sitting here. It's probably happening right now. And so that is not what the regulators wanted to see. But to your point, it doesn't change anything. What it did was it basically moved the Fed from a terminal rate or market expectations from almost had gotten high as 6% here, really to 5 And now at the end of the year, I'm looking on CME and, and Fed fund futures are at 4 at year end. So what we did was we got the relief rally associated with the Fed stopping. But the truth is the aftermath of this, I think actually the economy, if you believe it's going to sl slow down, it just accelerated that slowdown because banks have to really pull back in their activities. Um, Danny, so, you know, the saying is the Fed keeps going until something breaks. W was this it? Where I think this was looking? this was a small vase uh, sitting <laughs> on the window. So, again, <laughs> you know, what I really think is in terms of breaking, obviously, this wasn't on a lot of people's bingo cards. Right. It was on certain people that have been actively shorting some of these names that saw this balance sheet that had massive issues. So I just really feel like we still have underestimated in this market in general what is happening when you raise rates four and a half percent and what may end up being five percent. We'll see what the Fed does next week. Maybe it's another quarter point. And the other thing, Melissa, is this whole QT, quantitative tightening that's been going on. Great job. We got it down from nine trillion to eight point four trillion. I think we can safely say that QE, the QT is probably done here, and we're back in somewhat of a QE, at least a neutral mode. So we got some stuff done, but the problem here is we still have inflation, and I believe that you are now brought forward the potential for stagflation as a result, because the Fed still has to do their job, because what you don't want to see is them to stop while inflation is still running hot. Yeah, it's a tough choice, financial stability versus price stability. <laughs> it's a tough one. Uh, Danny, it's always great to speak with you. Thank you so much. Danny Moses. And as we sit here talking to Danny, uh, Wells Fargo just filing um, for $9.5 billion mixed shelf securities, debt, warrants, units, purchase contracts, guarantees. 
Um, yes. Your first reaction to this, Karen? Um, good for them. Everyone should file a shelf, right? Everyone should. If you can do it now where there's sort of no cost to it in, in terms of your reputation or anything like that, you should. It does also make me wonder, if you go to this window and bring whatever assets you have, is that like a walk of shame? Is it like going yes. to like a methadone clinic? So? I think right? so. Yeah, totally. I think so. But is, do we need to have that disclosure? I don't know. The disclosure that it's a walk of shame or the disclosure, disclosure that you're going who to went window. to the window? What did yeah. they, how much did they bring? Right. Right? In 08, the government said we're giving all of you a huge swath of common and yeah. and so we don't we're not gonna tell you who really needs it. This is Wells Fargo, by the way, who is the lowest loan to deposit ratio, right? I mean they're the ones we were lauding yesterday, they're at thirty seven percent and mm -hmm. you know, or sorry, of the of the federally insured ones. And so, you know, they seemingly were the most defensive money center bank here based upon at least those those ratios. So I guess the question here is you know, Courtney, you've you've been in some of these larger banks. Mm -hmm. Does your view of them change? Now, and what's been happening with this even before last week is people have been looking at alternatives, even the big banks, right? They're putting their money in treasuries. There are better options because they're not paying anything on the bank accounts right now. So, yes, you're getting the shift right now from your um, mid-region banks into your large cap banks. Um, but even then, they're either going to have to pay more interest to keep people there or they're going to see more deposits go out because now people are realizing, oh, if I have above the FDIC limits or just in general, they're not paying, Parking they are going to start to park money elsewhere which does affect their bottom line if they're going to have less margins because they're having to offer more interest. So it does affect the banks in general. Mm -hmm. Guy. It's interesting. I'm getting on the Twitter. You get a lot of Twitter comments oh. during the show. During the show. And yeah. people are saying, yeah, well, tweets. there was a study apparently that Silicon Valley, if they were under the auspices of this stress test, they would have passed it. Okay, oh. I'll play that game. So what does that say about the stress right. test then? They're lousy. I mean, they're or lousy. There's something wrong. There's or something wrong, right? There's something this. fundamentally wrong. So I don't think we're nearly out of the woods to this thing. To Danny's point, small vase, I mean, I don't know what broke. Something clearly broke. We've been mm -hmm. saying it for a while. But the pickle that they find themselves in now is if they stop and inflation is a problem, which today's numbers indicate, yep. what happens from there? Stick around. Um, some wild options action in the regional bank space. Mike Co. will bring us all the details in just a few. And coming up, shares of Meta moving higher after announcing 10,000 more job cuts. So what else can we expect out of the company's so-called year of efficiency? More on that next. Plus, another dream order for Boeing, the aerospace giant securing a huge order for its Dreamliners. But it's not a U.S. airline making the deal. The international details when Fast Money returns. What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration, our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager. What does it mean to be rich? Is it having more stories to share or time to give? Is it being able to keep your loved ones close or travel somewhere far away? At Edward Jones, we believe the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Your dedicated financial advisor will take a comprehensive approach to your financial strategy to help support what truly matters to you. edwardjones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. 
Welcome back to Fast Money. Meta cutting 10,000 more jobs. This comes just four months after the social media giant axed 11,000 roles. Shares jumping more than 7% today. CNBC's Julia Borson's got the details. Julia. Well, Melissa, in addition to those layoffs, Mark Zuckerberg also closing 5,000 open positions that Meta had. He warned of the, quote, possibility that this new economic reality will continue for many years. And he also lowered Meta's 2023 expense guidance. The company now forecasts a range of $86 billion to $92 billion in expenses, down from a prior range of $89 to $95 billion. The company is saying this is inclusive of the layoffs and 3 to $5 billion related to facilities consolidation charges and severance. Evercore reacting, saying, quote, the year of efficiency is becoming more efficient. With a new lowered expense guidance, Meta is declaring that it can recover to growth with de minimis growth in expenses, which will create an EPS slingshot opportunity as revenue growth recovers. Zuckerberg saying the company is focused on increasing developer productivity and also improvements to the company's processes. And Zuckerberg, interestingly, used some new buzzwords. Instead of talking so much about the metaverse, he wrote in his memo that Meta is building the future of human connection and trying to build new ways for people to feel closer using AI. And Melissa, it's also worth noting that even with this elimination of now 21,000 jobs in the past six months, Meta still has more employees than it did as recently as summer 2021. Hmm. Melissa? Julia, thank you. Julia Worston. A lot of buzzwords in that mm. uh, EPS slingshot opportunity is Love one. Yeah. It's a great term, Human by the connection way. opportunities. Right. And of course, you got to throw in a little AI Absolutely. while you're at it. I mean, why not? Right. One word notably absent metaverse. Right. Yes. I mean, if during the, you know, during the peak of the frenzy and how much money he was going to spend, if, if someone had told me this is what he's going to do instead, he's going to just cut, cut, mm. cut, talk about efficiency, don't even mention the metaverse. You'd think, wow, the stock could get back to 194. Maybe I didn't. I, I didn't think it would get back that quickly. No way. Yeah, they actually mm-hmm. mentioned efficiency 90 times there, and I think they know the the impact of those buzzwords, right? Because everybody's gonna be listening. They heard efficiency. Nobody can conceptualize what the metaverse is, so they shifted to AI. Um, and I, I just think that they know that, but. What I do think is interesting is they're really focusing on people coming back into the office because last year, this wasn't just meta, but it really is an economy as a whole. Productivity was extremely low. I think they're starting to realize getting people into the office is actually going to increase productivity, even if they have less workers. And I think if that becomes a theme this year, that actually could become something good for the general economy, which I thought was interesting. Now you got to try to figure out how to trade the stock. So. Doji Star, remember that? Oh, uh, who doesn't? Yeah. Who doesn't, guy? Well, apparently, a lot of the market doesn't. We should create a little panel so when you mention it, it pops up. Yeah, can we do that? <laughs> like, you know, like those pop up videos that used to, you remember? Yeah, the, so the character one would have like a little pop up. I'd, yeah. yeah. like, I'd love to see the Doji Star. The crack yeah. staff in EC could put That's that together. That's something that they yes. can work on. Maybe when we go back upstairs, they'll have it ready. Exactly. Where does the stock trade to? So I thought actually that reversal was going to hold. It didn't. Now we're at 195. So you go back basically a year ago today effectively this was a 225 dollar stock before it took the next leg down 225 past resistance past support becomes resistance i'll say this it's also a 50 percent retracement of the all-time high and that low we saw in the fall so maybe 225 is ultimately where it gets to all right there is a lot more fast money to come here's what's coming up next boeing boeing gone the plane maker inking a big order for its Dreamliner jets. And the buy is coming from overseas. The details next. Plus, the crypto surge. 
Bitcoin rocketing higher as the regional bank fallout continues. So is crypto winter finally thawed out? You're watching Fast Money, live from the NASDAQ market site in Times Square. We're back right after this. Picture this. You're on a John Deere compact tractor, enjoying the sun as you clear brush across your pasture. You just have to get in the seat. Learn more at johndeere.com slash get in the seat or visit a dealer near you. Welcome back to Fast Money. Shares of Boeing up almost 2% today after the company closed a deal to sell nearly 80 of its 787 Dreamliners to a pair of Saudi Arabian airlines. The deal estimated to be worth nearly $37 billion, according to the White House. So demand for wide body planes seems to be picking up. There's the Boeing side of it, but then there's the airline side of it, too, Tim. Well, if you've listened to the airlines, they've been talking about renewing their fleets, and it's really right. been a function of getting the, the business back to a place where demand is, is, and in fact, we've heard from a lot of these folks that they're pre-2019 on revs. Um, the question really, and we started to address this last night with Phil, is to the extent are you hearing from the airlines that you're starting to see some of that demand taper off? Um, either way, planes have to be replaced. Either way, these order books are going through. And either way, remember, un with all the unfortunate news around Boeing over the last five years, the biggest issue was COVID. It really was. It, it was people just not flying. Um, how can you tell me this company's not going to make 25 to 30 bucks a share in free cash flow going forward at a time when that's what you want to be investing on in this economy? So I think Boeing goes higher. I think this is great news. Well, she going to go. Uh, and, and especially for the wide bodies, which is really where they make most of their money. I think they compete very much with Airbus on the 320s and, and the slimmer planes. But I, I'm long Boeing here. Courtney. Yeah, I thought it was interesting because you just saw United came out and actually was saying that demand has actually come down, which I think one of the first times we've heard that. But I don't think this is a longer term issue. It's more of a seasonality shift. People were traveling all year round after COVID, but now they're shifting to not traveling as much now. They're traveling around the holidays and the summertime, but the demand is still there. And especially with like a Boeing, I do agree with Tim, they still have to increase their fleets. And especially because energy prices are so high, they need more efficient planes. And so that's only more of a reason why they need to get rid of some of their older planes and get more Boeing aircrafts, so whether it's Bo Boeing or Airbus, they ultimately are just a duopoly. And so I do think that's going to continue to benefit them. Spirit Aerosystems is a place you could go in lieu of, if you want, 15 times next year's numbers. For example, Bernstein just cut on operational problems, but they cut it to a $38 price target. Stock's trading 31 bucks, And I think there's some upside. They reported a quarter, I think, the end of February, which was not bad. And I think if you think Boeing's going to do well, almost by definition, you have to think that SPR will as well. All right. Up next, bank pain, crypto gain. Bitcoin on a tear this week as a financial fallout continues. So has spring sprung for the crypto winter. That trade is next. The stock's rallying after today's CPI data. Our next guest sees a Fed pause on deck. Top economist Mark Zandi lays out his call when Fast Money returns. Get your trades to go with the Fast Money podcast. Catch us anytime, anywhere. Follow today on your favorite podcasting app. We're back right after this. Welcome back to Fast Money. Another check in the markets today. Stocks rallying after the consumer price index came in line with expectations. The Dow jumping nearly 350 points, breaking a five-day losing streak. The S&P climbing more than 1.5%, its best day since January. And the Nasdaq surging more than 2%, trading both above its 50- and 200-day moving average. Take a look at crypto surging on the back of all this bank drama. Bitcoin jumping nearly 25% in just the last few days. Guess when the system's broken, Tim, you go out of the system. Well, this... 
people that have been long Bitcoin and talking about it for years and the decentralization, we're talking about socializing our banks. I mean, this is why you have Bitcoin. And, and I'll channel my inner BK, who we miss here, which is, is that, you know, effectively, when the Fed stops hiking, they're going to start rallying. And I don't know if the Fed stopped hiking, but clearly that's the message that you got from Bitcoin. Yeah, that's what we've been saying for a while. Once the Fed stop, once they show that they flinch, whatever word you want to use, that's when Bitcoin starts going higher. I mean, this was 17.5 a couple months ago, 25 now. So Bitcoin is telling the story here for sure. Yeah, um, but the, mar- the market reaction, it's still the Fed is greater than any bank meltdown problem. Right. That's what the markets are telling us. The notion that the Fed will be on hold or that the terminal rate will be lower. That's much more valuable to investors um, as a piece of information to trade on. Yeah. Right. Yeah. The Fed. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think so. Um, But it's interesting to me, though, I would have thought any speculative activity in Bitcoin would be kind of out now. I mean, that that so much money has been lost in the speculative part. I don't know if that's maybe none of that is driving this. This is interesting, though. I, I mean, do you so if if the well, Bitcoin, what do you think it trades if they say, all right, 25 basis points? Yeah, I, I, I don't know. A lot. I mean, no, I don't. but I mean, what's going on in the banking system, I think, overrides for the Bitcoin trade. I don't know. Yeah. And I think 25 bips is happening. But but I, I think the more important point, and you mentioned it, Mel, is that the triple Qs, the Nasdaq 100 had a golden cross or the 50 oh, traded above the not 200 a doji star. No. Not a doji <laughs> star. <laughs> sorry. And we're waiting for that uh, emoji. Yeah. For yeah, guy. I'm told but, to keep waiting. but it no, hasn't no, gone no, this no, through no, the upside no. 50 day over the 200 day to the upside since June of 2020. We all know what that meant. And, and in, in technical land, and I'm, I'm not uh, the, the guy that's dyed in the wool on this stuff, but there's no question that a golden cross uh, is or, or even just a bull cross is something yeah. that I follow. You think 25. Our next guest is actually in the camp that the Fed should pause next week. Let's bring in Mark Zandi. He's the chief economist at Moody's Analytics. Mark, great to have you with us. I'm, I'm guessing you think pause now because of what has transpired in the banking sector. So is this an explicit choice of, of financial stability over price stability for now? Yeah, I, I think they'll pause. I, I think they should pause. Uh, will they? That's more of a debate. Uh, but, you know, I think policy making 101 says if there's a lot of uncertainty and there's a boatload of uncertainty about all of this, then you err on the side of being overly accommodative. So that means no rate hike at the next meeting. Um, you know, I, I think then they they can stop, take a look around, make sure the system is on very solid footing, credits flowing, uh, take a look at the economic data over the next few weeks, the, the inflation numbers, the jobs numbers, and make a decision at the May meeting and re- resume in- increasing interest rates as they need to. But, you know, at this point, given all the uncertainty and given what they did, I mean, right, they pretty aggressive actions when you set up a new credit facility to provide liquidity to the banks and, uh, you know, you're part of the action to guarantee all the all the bank deposits. You know, given that, it just seems to me that you'd want to pause here and just take a look around. Hey, Mark, it's Courtney here. Um, as I noted in your notes, you actually made a point that we should watch for oil right now, right? And that you're seeing because of the supply and demand and it has been lower, you expect that to increase. I'm just curious if you can expand upon that a little bit, because I think the supply demand constraint, we've actually argued quite a while the last several months, but energy prices have remained low. Um, and I'm curious what your take on that would be. Yeah, Courtney, I've, I've been a little bit surprised at how lo- low oil has remained. And that's fantastic. That's really key to the inflation outlook, you know, the direct impact on on uh, inflation, the indirect impact, impact through food and transportation costs. But most importantly, the impact oil has and gasoline prices have on inflation expectations and wages. 
And so keeping oil down in the 70s, low 80s, that's really been pretty good and surprising in large part because demand has picked up. China has come back and demand has picked up. So I've been, and of course, you've got the Russian sanctions that increasingly are biting. So I have been surprised. But, you know, I, I do think as we move through the year into next, uh, the supply demand balance will start uh, shifting towards higher prices. So I wouldn't uh, I wouldn't be surprised that at year end we're closer to ninety dollars a barrel than than seventy five. But you know, there's some calls for a hundred dollars. I, I doubt that. I, you know, I, I don't think we're headed in that direction. But certainly higher than where we are today. Hey, Mark, it's Tim. This is not scientific, and this is qualitative. But your view is very important to the audience. Uh, what's going on with banks? What does this mean for the economy? What is the element of this um, that is a slowing in lending at a time when we'd started to see a couple of years of really growth in in, in CNI loans and, and dynamics in the banking sector that we hadn't seen in a long time? I, I think it's very negative. But I'm your view is more important here. Well, it's it's negative. You know, all else being equal, I mean, the banks provide you know key. Uh, it's key to the credit flows to the households and to uh, businesses. And credit growth has been good. I mean, there's been some tightening in underwriting. We've seen you know from this Fed Senior Loan Officer Survey, for example. But you know, the actual uh, growth in credit has been pretty consistent with the growth in the economy. That's you know exactly what you want. I suspect here, you know, given what's happened, we'll probably see some further tightening in underwriting, some weakening in credit growth, and that will be. A drag on economic growth. Another reason why the Fed may want to, you know, pause, take a look around, and see, you know, what, how a big uh, a tightening underwriting there will be, and how significant the impact will be on credit flows. But having said that, Tim, you know, there's, you know, the other financial conditions have eased up, right? Long-term rates are down. Mortgage rates, which were 30-year fixed, were over seven. They're now back down. Last I looked, closer to six and a half. Uh, and uh, it, uh, so there's kind of cross currents here when you add up all the impacts on, on financial conditions and the net of all that is probably, at least at this point, a wash. But again, given the uncertainties, if I were the if I were a policymaker on the on the Fed, I'd, I'd say, hey, let's just uh, pause here and take a look around. You said that what's going on in banks is not a systemic failure at all. It's not a systemic risk. Is it because of, of, of the intervention uh, that had gone on over the weekend that that does not make it a systemic risk or we did not have been a systemic risk anyway. And we did this intervention well, for whatever motive, protect depositors, political, whatever you want to call it. Yeah. Yeah. No, no. Great. Great question. I mean, obviously, with the backstop, uh, you know, the system is money good. I mean, the, the message here is that the government is going to do whatever it takes to make sure the system is remains on solid ground. So we're good. I would have said, you know, before all this, that you know, one of the strengths of the economy, one of the reasons why I've been generally optimistic that we can avoid an outright economic downturn, is the strength of the banking system. I mean, just objectively, take a look. I mean, the tier one capital ratio is very high. You know, obviously, that's a lot of that's related to the reforms after the financial crisis. Dodd Frank, uh, liquidity, you know, very good. Credit quality, you know, it's it's starting to weaken, but it's basically just normalizing for most loan categories. So uh, profitability is strong. Look at return on assets or return on equity. I mean, it feels like the system w was a reason for optimism about the strength of the economy. And I still believe that to be the case. I think we've got a few idiosyncratic institutions that just went sideways here and got caught, you know, with the rise in interest rates. And I don't think it's, uh, you know, broadly symptomatic of what's going on in the banking system. But again, having said all of that, look, uh, you know, I, I could be wrong. Uh, there's a lot of uncertainty. Let's just Take a breath. Stop, st take a step back and assess things. Don't don't push you know harder on interest rates until we're absolutely sure I'm right about the system. Mark, great to see you. Thank you. Sure, anytime. Mark Zandi. 
So it's a real push-pull, I mean, in terms of tightening of lending standards, not getting that money out into the economy, which is good for the Fed's fight inflation, but at the same time, again, mortgage rates, interest rates yeah. are down. I mean, where do you come out on it? Well, I mean, I think they've been doing the right thing all along. Mm-hmm. I mean, I still think they should stay the course. They've been extraordinarily vocal in their want Hold to on inflation. Do you just say, still... I think the Fed has been doing the right thing all yeah. along? Well, no, 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 no not all along, since they started raising. Huh. I've been pretty yeah. clear on that. Yes. The, that they finally are doing the right thing. And I think they've been pretty good at explaining what they're trying to do. Now, if they backpedal and are spooked by what's going on, that's an entirely different conversation. Because last I looked, 6% inflation is nowhere near their target rate of two. All right, coming up, we've got an earnings alert for you on Lennar. Shares on the move higher after reporting results. We'll dive into that trade next. And throughout March, we are celebrating women's heritage. Here's the CEO of Slack. I am a Brazilian Latina woman, and I'm just so proud to bring all of the experiences that I've had my entire life to my job today. And far too often, we are shy or we don't embrace that that full richness of our experiences makes us who we are. So I encourage all female leaders around the world to embrace being proud. I'm proud to be a woman. So I certainly am proud to be a woman leading Slack. And I hope all female leaders embrace the same. I'll say this. This morning, as soon as our trading window opened, I I was waiting at the door and bought 50,000 shares for my personal account on uh, right as the market opened. That much confidence I certainly have in this company. That was Schwab CEO Walter Bettinger delivering a confident message on CNBC's The Exchange today. Bettinger also saying that Schwab stock was the top stock purchased by the firm's clients on Friday. Schwab finished the day up more than 9%. Meantime, shares of First Republic rebounding almost 27% today after dropping more than 65% in the last week. A huge day for the options in this name. Traders think this move has legs. Mike Coe's got the action. Mike. Yeah, so First Republic traded 24 times its average daily options volume today. It was the 13th busiest single stock option and the fourth busiest amongst financials. Activity really went uh, both ways. There were both bullish bets and bearish bets. Actually, the the largest trade by the end of the day was the March 30 strike puts. We saw over 20,000 of those trade for a little over two bucks. Uh, That obviously by traders who still are a little bit concerned because they're risking 5% of the current stock price on a 25% out of the money put strike that expires at the end of this week. But I will say that implied volatility has come in a bit and we are seeing an increase in bullish bets in the regional banks, particularly uh, First Republic. Just quickly, Karen, you're in this uh, First Republic trade, in a trade, I Yeah, I'm say. in a trade. It's a bit of a capital structure arbitrage. Long the preferreds, which just got annihilated uh, yesterday, and uh, short some out-of-the-money calls. And I think uh, in a lot of scenarios, I think they'll be okay. I, I, and I wouldn't be shocked if you woke up tomorrow and Warren Buffett or somebody like that, he would be the best name, took a stake here with a nice sweetheart deal with some warrants, something like that. We'll see. I'm surprised we haven't heard anything else yeah. from them yet. Yeah. Mike, thank you. For more Options Action, be sure to tune into the full show. That's Friday, 5.30 p.m. Eastern Time. Now to an earnings alert on Lennar. Shares higher after a beat on the top and the bottom lines. Home delivery is also up 9% from a year ago. Let's go inside the numbers with Diana Olick. Diana. Well, Melissa, they beat in tough market conditions, but it was really all about mortgage rates. As you said, deliveries up 9% and above guidance, while new orders were down 10%. That's not actually that bad, given the market. Though 
take a look at mortgage rates during that quarter that started at the end of November. They started falling and were then decidedly down in January. That's when we saw both sales of newly built home and pending sales of existing homes jump nationally. Then came February, rates got ugly again. But Lennar's chairman, Stuart Miller, said while traffic dropped in February, sales actually held. He said home buyers are considering the possibility that today's interest rate environment may be the new normal. And we've seen wide swings now in rates due to the banking stress. Rates first plunged, then came back up today on that CPI report. Experts tell me unless we see more big pain in the banking sector, rates will likely continue to rise. Melissa? All right, Diana, thank you. Diana Olek at the conference call, of course, tomorrow morning. Guy, what do you make of Lennar? Listen, housing? we've talked about home builders. We said if it's counterintuitive it is in this environment. You can be bearish in the overall market, but you have to trade these from alongside. We've been steadfast. Look at these names. They all, Toll Brothers, DHI, Pulte Homes, all made all-time highs in December of 2021. They're all within probably 8 to 12 percent of approaching those levels that we saw a couple years ago, which is remarkable if you think about it. And it becomes, not unlike oil, this is a supply-demand situation, and the supply is just not there for the demand. So I still stay, stay long these names. Yeah, Tim? I don't chase them. And, and Guy's right, I mean, on the, on the supply dynamics, and they just said this in their, coming out of this, uh, this earnings call. I, I just look at the, the dynamics with the consumer. Everything else that we're talking about on the show tonight doesn't bode well for the housing market. I, I still think velocity of housing, sales continue to grind lower. I mean, if we have rates still high and, lend, and lending standards tightening, that's, that's sort of difficult for the consumer, for a home buyer, even with the supply demand constraints. I mean, something's got to give. Either rates have to come down or prices have to come down on homes. But I do think it's only to a certain extent because I think that supply and demand constraint is a lot more dramatic than people realize. There are tons of buyers just waiting to buy. So when one of those things comes down to a certain extent, you're going to see people come in. So I actually do still like the home buyers here, but uh, home builders here. Um, but especially if we do start to see rates come down, you are, uh, are seeing the expectations later in the year for that to happen, um, that could mean mortgage rates eventually come down, which would be a benefit beneficiary for these. Still in Lowe's? Uh, still in Lowe's, still in Home Depot. I think that uh, Lowe's in particular is attractive to me. Price cheaper than the market, and I think it's at least a market multiple stock. Yeah. Would you rather? Oh, I love this game. It took only 50 minutes in the show to get to it. Would you rather? <laughs> Builders or the home improvement Retailers guy. Wow. Builders I'll or the home improvement you, I mean, It looked like you were both I'll, I'll go, Listen, I'll go, I'll go builders. I'll what stick games? to my guns. Oh, I mean, okay. Karen's right, right in terms of valuation, but I think people under, underestimate, to Courtney's point, what's going on on the ground in these home builders. So I'll stay with the home builders. Yeah. I, I think Home Depot. Karen's right. Lowe's is cheaper. Um, I, I do like them here. I do think you have a dynamic where people are going to be investing in their homes. I do also think that the investments they've made, technology, they're pro business, that's margin friendly. I think they can be a little more resilient here. So um, you're buying weakness. I'm not sure you're chasing any of these things right now. And I, even the home builders, because I mean, you, you know, Lennar's gone from 65 to, to, to 100. Mm-hmm. Um, but but I, I, I am buying weakness in Home Depot. Coming up, three names stopping the tape today after a major legal victory. We'll bring you the details in the trades next. Stick around. Much more Fast Money in two. Welcome back to Fast Money. Uber, Lyft, and DoorDash surging after a major legal victory. A California Court of Appeals ruling today that these companies will be allowed to continue classifying drivers as independent contractors under uh, overturning a previous ruling. A huge victory for these companies when it comes to labor costs. This had been an overhang. Here we are. Uh, Guy, what do you think? 
Well, I've played the Would You Rather game, which is now twice in the last nine minutes, and mine's always been lift. But that was right for a while. It's wrong now. Uber's clearly taking control of this again. So I think all these things you're seeing, it's a win for Uber. Lyft seemingly is lost in this whole situation. So in the game that I'm playing by myself, Uber over Lyft. Uh, the L in the lag trade. So I mean, it's just it's just acronym we always, frenzy. We should have that flashing yeah. at the bottom of a shameless and again, promotion and, of and, his and I should be ashamed of that pick right now. So let's be clear. <laughs> I'm bringing up something that's not shining glory on me. But the story with Lyft is about recovering market share. It's about their ability to get back to uh, you know price it in competition with Uber, where they're actually the pricing pressure to get back to to, to the competitive landscape is tough. Um, the driver dynamic very good. I still think this. This stock has room to run. Karen, uh, between the two, oh, was it a would you rather or I'll that or anything? Just you know, just the trade. Uh, yeah, if you want to play a game, play a game. You know. <laughs> what we do? I was gonna go with Uber. I mean, the other yeah. day I liked that they're considering selling their freight business. It's been a, just a, kind of a weight on them. Um, and I think this was big today, but I also think they really, I mean, they've kind of left Lyft in the dust. Yeah. Uh, this is Courtney's favorite game. What's I know. That? <laughs> yeah. The would you rather. Oh. Yeah. I would have. I actually agree with you both. Yeah, I would take an Uber over a Lyft. I think it's going to be better diversified. And I do think they're actually taking ridership from Lyft. So, Tim, I'm sorry, but I'm no, going to no, over here. Yeah. And you're right, you're right, Courtney. It should have been <laughs> WAGS. I mean, apparently yeah. in your Oops. acronym. Wags. Wags. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Up next, okay. final trades. Time for the final trade. Tim Seymour. Home Depot. So trading actually near the bottom of that one-year range. And I think you have a multiple that's in line with the market here. I don't think you're chasing it. And it's a, it's a, it's a quality name in this environment. Courtney. I'm gonna, you know, we're an overvalued tech right now, but I think Dell is a name that sells um, undervalued. I think we could be seeing a trough in PC sales that could benefit from that. Karen? Yes, we haven't talked about this in a while, but Target, I don't think the consumer is dead, but I do think they want some value. And also, you know, we talked about the Ulta numbers from last week, which were extraordinary. They do have a relationship there, so Target. Guys. I love Squawk Box from six to nine. Joe, right? Becky, right? All of them are ARS. Yeah. Who else Let's is going to be there tomorrow? Tomorrow I'm going to be there. Love I'm that. Tuned, man. Isn't that great? Yeah. I mean, I'm too. It's must Why watch you? TV. Why you and ARS. Can you have a trade, please? SPR comes out. <laughs> All right. Thanks for watching Fast. Mad Money with Jim Cramer starts right now. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. FedEx Ground service is also faster to more locations than UPS Ground. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively, FedEx.